Hi, Michelle. Michelle? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, Michelle, you know I've been away on Daydream Island. Daydreaming. Daydreaming. Yeah. So, (laughs) I'm nervous now. Let's tell the audience what I did on the way to Daydream Island. My God, this is going to be a long fucking podcast recording. Do you want to put your dentures in? (laughs) So, on the way to Daydream Island... Mm. On the aeroplane, I was editing the episode that we recorded about mental health. The one that we did that we were really proud of. and We felt like we nailed everything. And it was funny in places and really like... Lovely. Lovely in others. Yes. And I lost the whole thing. Of course you did. And in a minute, we're going to play a WhatsApp conversation. Uh, where I broke that news to Rochelle. But first, Rochelle, <laughs> I bought you a present to say sorry. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a seashell oh, necklace. You are for so welcome. My name's Emily Chadbourne. And I'm Rochelle Fisher. And we're a couple of Zennials turning body. Zennials are an often forgotten generation sandwiched between the Gen X and the Millennials. Not quite one, but not quite the other either. We were brought up on Disney princesses, roller skates and Game Boys. Left to flounder through the grunge era of the 1990s and expected to catch up with tech life in the noughties, how prepared was the Zennial woman for the delights and disappointments of the current day? To celebrate our birthdays, Em and I decided to launch our own mini-series dedicated solely to issues that so many Xenial women face today. From egg freezing to ageing to being single, we have interviewed some amazing Xenials with stories to share. Enjoy this episode! day you were like I think I want to re-record the end of the mental health episode that we did I'm making that happen for you I'm such a good fucking friend that I'm making that happen for you (laughs) because I lost it and the first half (laughs) I'm not even joking I spent my first two hours on daydream island frantically on the phone to Ryan as he has tried to recover the files and they've gone. I was editing them on the plane. I edited the first half that we did. And then when you went into hysterics and we then we, after that, we recorded the second half and I'd almost finished editing the second half. I had both files open. The dongle slipped out of my laptop on the plane. And then it asked me if I wanted to save the files and I did. And so it, it saved nothing. I got two blank files. So we have to redo it and there's no podcast for Friday. (laughs) I mean, I've already let it go. Let it go. Let it go. But you're allowed to be really angry. I I was very angry. Uh, I I stopped myself from crying because I remember that it's not the end of the world. Um, But yeah, I was I was pretty angry with myself. So now it's your turn to be angry with me. But. It would be great if you could stop being angry with me by the time I see you next. Okay, I love you, bye. 
Did I ever tell you how beautiful you are, though? You're like the most beautiful of all of the people. All of them. You are the most beautifulest one. And very forgiving. That's one of the qualities I think I love the most. You're just so forgiving. And that's good. It's good to be forgiving. Patient is another word that I would use to describe you. Patience is a virtue. You're simply the best. Better than all the rest. So sorry that we're recording this for the second time. No, Emily's sorry that we're recording this for the second time. I'm not because um, part of the first chat was about being having OCD and um, I wanted to do it again anyway because it wasn't perfect enough for me. you got OCD about your OCD. Yeah. All right, so let's crack on with this episode all about mental health. So before we start, I just want to lay down a bit of a disclaimer, I suppose, for me and Rochelle, which is that we are not experts I, on Rochelle mental health. Rochelle and I. You're such a dick. <laughs> Michelle and I would like to lay down a disclaimer that we are not um, experts in mental health. And I think there is a definite difference between mental health and mental illness. We are going to talk about mental health before we go into an interview with somebody who lives with various mental illnesses. And I think it's also really important just to say that Rochelle and I, you know, we are unashamedly human, which means that we're not here to get it right. We don't claim to be experts. We're here to learn. And that means that across this conversation, we might say some stuff that might not be politically correct or the terminology might be wrong or, or you know, it might just be our opinion and not necessarily peer reviewed or academically sourced, but please, 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 we want to learn, we want to do better, we want to know better, we want to language better, and we want to be able to communicate this really important topic better. So if you hear us say anything that you would like us to correct in a future episode, please, please email us. Like I said, we're not here to get it right, we are here to learn. The only thing that we ask is that you are kind and understanding in your feedback. And Obviously, this is an episode about mental health, so it would be amiss of us not just to lay down a little uh, trigger warning. We might be talking about some subjects which some listeners might find a little bit upsetting or triggering. So just wanted to give everyone the heads up about that. All right, Rochelle. Emily. I want to know mm, what? what keeps you, other than me, what <laughs> keeps you in good mental health other than you of the shining light in your life I mean jokes aside we keep each other on a very sort of I was gonna say tight leash <laughs> that sounds a bit weird <laughs> um, that's a different podcast we um, we hold good accountability for each other yes I would agree yeah so you do keep me yeah. Same in parts. And we also share the same sorts of morals and standards and values. Yeah. And I would say they are of relatively high standard. Yeah. Um, out of our last um, mental health point one. Yeah. <laughs> the episode that shall never be heard. Yeah. yeah. You did say something about gossiping, that I don't gossip. 
Oh yeah, you're that not was really interesting. Yeah, so it's not necessarily about gossip, and I think this led on. Let's just explain because that might not have anything to do with mental health from the outset. No, so it, I, I know what you mean, though. We were talking about who you hang with and the positive or negative yeah. impact that those people will have on your life, and I know that when I am in a state where I feel bad about myself or I feel like down on myself or I'm judging myself it's really easy for me to go into a state of bitching about other people and judging other people openly and that can sometimes lead to gossiping about other people mm. as well because it makes me feel good it's like you know they say that laughter is the one of the best ways to get close to somebody but gossiping and bitching about somebody else is also a really good way to make that happen because you know you feel like you're on someone's team you feel like you're against the world with someone you feel like you're in a pack with someone these are the things that make us feel fundamentally safe to know that we are you know pally pally with somebody else and ostracizing another person in whether it's openly or privately is a great way to do that and we can see that that's played out throughout the whole of humanity in various wars and oppressions and genocides and you know all sorts of holocausts mm. and all sorts of things it's 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 yeah I, i'm not excusing it but i'm going to say that it is prevalent in human behavior and we do it on a really sort of um micro level as well you know even if it's just bitching about janet in accounts or commenting on the length of someone's skirt as they walk past and one of the things that you don't do is comment necessarily mm, on other people um but again i think that comes back to um, just like who are you hanging out with and what kinds of conversations yeah. are you having because who you hang out with and the sorts of conversations that you have will have a massive impact on your mental health yeah um what keeps me mentally on the straight and narrow is and well I'm not saying it's for everyone you have to find what works for you but for me it's waking up every morning not turning my phone on first thing and looking for your Instagram and all those things. It's waking up, sitting on my mat, sitting with myself, doing some meditation. That can be really hardcore. It can be really gentle. I just decide that morning what my body and what my mental health, all of it needs that day. Sometimes it might be a good scream or a yawn or it might just be to sit in silence. But it's the first thing I do in the morning and I think it really sets the tone for everything else and I know that we've previously spoken that last year I had sort of the first part of COVID was oh, I was flying through life I was like this this is great and I didn't really want to shout about it too much because a lot of people were going through a really hard time but my job was great um I was and this is the thing I was waking up every morning at 5 a.m I was doing a full hour on my yoga mat of doing a kundalini kriya and breath work and I was really in a good place and I'm a very regimented person not because not because I want to be because I have to be to stay in good mental health for myself and I'm not saying that's for everyone but that's I've realized over the years that's how I need to work and then in the second lockdown, I'd actually met someone and they, my routine completely changed. I was drinking a lot. I was staying up way too late. I was partying a bit and I'd stopped doing my morning meditations and I'd stopped doing the things that I love and work for me. And I ended up really going off the rails and then I became quite ill 
Um, and I think one week I went to bed on a Wednesday and I couldn't get out of bed till the Sunday. And then I saw a psychotherapist and she just said, you're too regimented, let's let's strip this down. Stop. You don't have to get up every morning, you don't have to do all these things, don't set your alarm because I'm a very I must set my alarm kind of person. And she said, don't do all those things. And it actually made me even worse. And then I went to see a psychologist who was the most amazing person that I had in my life at that point. And she just said, from what you've told me and your personality type, you need consistency. You need that. This is what I do. This is my little list. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to do that. You need to find what works for you and stick with it. It's like if I gave 10 different people a hair dye, we'd all go different colors. We'd never get the same result of, you know, Jennifer Anderson on the packet. Um, And I think that's what you've got to realize with mental health, that you've got to find what works for you. Just the same, you know, feeding your body with not just food, but people Mm. and what you listen to. Mm. Um, And I know in the morning, I always listen to mantras because it just keeps me calm. I don't want to be racing around in the morning panicking. Mm. But, you know, from an age of being... To be from from an age of being about twelve or thirteen, I was at the bus stop before anyone else. Ten minutes with the m- right amount of change in my hand, you know. My brother was always sprinting down the road when the bus was just leaving. I I've never been able to do that. You know, as a young child, I was sat on the staircase at seven thirty at night waiting to be taken upstairs to bed. Oh my God, bless you. Yeah, and so I've realised that. I just need that real routine in my life. And if I don't have things mapped out like that, I can really go off course. Mm. And I can't afford to do that. Yeah. Because I'm too, af- I don't know whether afraid's the wrong word, but I don't want to see that dark side. Yeah. See, I met you in that second lockdown when mm. you just come out of that dark period of, I'm going to use the word depression. Oh, yeah. I was completely depressed. And when I, mean, I didn't want to live. I'll be completely honest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember you saying, oh, I'm, I'm not having a good time. And I think because it was locked down and probably because I didn't know you that well, I didn't really know what that meant. Mm. And I didn't have any contrast or comparison to yeah. know you any differently. Um, but I do, I do remember sort of we started going walking together and came quite apparent that we shared the same sense of humor and obviously we've got each other's Englishisms and all that kind of stuff Englishisms, and yeah just made that word up and I think it should stay with us oh yeah definitely and yeah I I do remember feeling like um I remember you saying to me you know I actually really needed this friendship because you are you are the sort of person who understands getting up. Like I was getting up at 5.30 every mm. morning to meditate. Yeah. And you were like, oh, okay, you're doing that too. Like, I, you, and again, it comes back to this, like, who are you hanging out with? Like, I, I, you normalize the fact that I wake up at five o'clock in the morning to meditate for me. Like other friends that I say that to, they're like, you are batshit crazy. And I'm like, that's fine. I, I get that that seems like ridiculous to you, but it is a bit like you. Like, I know it's one of those things that 
I just have to have in place. If I didn't, I would be batshit crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to see batshit crazy? I could stop meditating. <laughs> yeah. But it has also taken me 40 years to work that out. Yeah. And I think we've both found that that's what works for us. That yes. is what keeps us sane is, and I, like I keep going back to, I'm not telling everyone that the answer to their entire life and for being feeling normal is to wake up at 5 a.m. and chant for an hour and mm. sit in silence and do breath work doesn't work for everyone yeah um but I know I cannot be around people that are going to drink and party and not understand what it means if I don't wake up and I do remember my brother last year saying to someone I'm really worried about my sister because I've never seen her like this mm. Yeah, I also feel like um, there's something in a, in the ashram which I think is sort of mirrored in what you and I are saying in our, about our morning routines and the importance mm. of having that sort of structured morning where before anything else happens and obviously we have lifestyles where we don't have children. I totally understand that. This is, you know, I understand that some people have got three, four, five kids running around and you and I don't. But in the ashram, when you wake up, you wake up at like 3.30 to start meditating and you meditate in a group or you meditate in, you know, just on your own in sort of solitude. And then you go through prayers and you might do some chanting and, and the whole morning as the sun is rising and up to breakfast is all about just sitting with yourself in meditation. Even if you're sitting in a group, you are in your own solitude and you are in mm. your own understanding of self. And then you go into lessons and you start learning some stuff and there'll be group discourse and discussion and, and that's where you begin to share wisdom. And then after that, you go back into solitude so that you can assimilate that information, so that you can integrate it, so that you can work out what that means for you in your life. And then after that, around lunchtime, everyone goes into service and there's no hierarchy. You know, you tend the garden, you scrub the floors, you prepare the food, you make the beds, you do the washing. It doesn't matter who you are, how much money you've got, where you came from, how long you've been in the ashram. Everyone does is service and it's all equal. And it occurred to me the other day that that is the same whether or not you are in a Buddhist ashram, whether you're in a Kundalini ashram. Like, it doesn't matter. That is the same. And it's this understanding that in order to be of service for other people, you must first have understood life yourself. And you must spend time with yourself so that you can regulate yourself, so that you can understand yourself, so that you can know yourself in the symbiotic relationship with the world and the people and the experiences around you before you can be of service. I mean, to simplify that even more, you've only got to say, jump on a plane and... What is the first thing I tell you to do? Yeah, the old oxygen mask. Put your own mask on first. Then you mm. can help everyone else. Yeah. If you... and I'll hold my hand up. We all know Rochelle wants to help the world. You are very good at service. I want to... I was going to say I want to service everyone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. If you would like to email <laughs> emily at emilychabon.com and use Rochelle is servicing me as the subject headline. Um, uh, that just means cleaning your house, I'm afraid. Um, I've lost my trail of thought. Yeah, so it just goes back. Last year, I wanted to help everyone else. Mm. I forgot to help myself. Yeah, I wanted to cook everyone else's dinner and clean everyone else's cupboards and 
figure out everyone else's life and the person that I completely destroyed and we love having a chat about little Miss self-sabotage over here. You are the best self-sabotager I've ever met. I Yeah, I mean, I should write a book, mm-hmm. How to Fuck Up Your Life. That is an excellent... That, do you know that type of book title that that is? That belongs in Oprah's book club. Oh, How Oprah. to Fuck Up Your Life by Rochelle Fisher. Oprah. Forward by Emily Chadbourne. Oprah, give me a call. We'll have a chat. Self-sabotage. If you meet Oprah before I meet Oprah, I will <laughs> fucking smash your face in. Oh, my God. Um, and disclaimer right there for when Rochelle's been beaten up and in St. Kilda <laughs> Police Station. It's I Emily Chadbourne. <laughs> yeah, you've, just, um, you've, you've just said it right there. What? For the judge. I've smashed her face I've in. i smashed her face in. Because she met Oprah before me. Um... Okay, so yeah, I love to self-sabotage, but I find that I don't if, again, I wake up and put my own oxygen mask on for an hour. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, and, and in that, you understand yourself and what you need in order to be yeah. of service of other people. And I can definitely relate, like when I was heavy drinking, you know, I wasn't in service to anyone else. Oh, well, I, you I were, was, to was, the bottle shop. No, yeah, 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 to vintage <laughs> sellers. But to everybody else, like uh, all I was doing, I was waking up in the morning and just spending my yeah. entire day on me. And so, you know, we will potentially as human beings be doing more of one than the other. Um, and it is, it's about getting that balance right. And spirituality for me has been a huge part of my mental health yeah. um, journey. I remember personal development was the first sort of taste that I had of really putting myself into genuine service for other people and trying really hard to stop thinking about myself the whole time because my god it's exhausting when all you're doing is worrying about yourself and what other people are thinking about you and what did I say yesterday and will that person and it's so obviously it's so much easier to drink a glass of wine than to be constantly in that narrative but when you're in that narrative obviously you think that you're so important that everyone must be talking about you of course yeah because that's what I learned quite early on when I used to be so paranoid that everyone was talking about me the only way that I could deal with that was by sitting and going are you really that important that (laughs) everyone is having a conversation about you yeah there's a brilliant line in a book called mm, notes of a nervous notes on a nervous planet by matt haig it's a fantastic book it's all about his depression and anxiety it's the follow-up to reasons to stay alive both Mm. excellent books to go and have a read of and in notes on a nervous planet there's a piece that he writes they're all like really short vignettes and he writes this piece about um about no one really cares about you, but like mm. in a really good way. It's like, stop thinking about your own face. Nobody else is thinking about your face the way that you're thinking about their face. Yeah. Everybody else is worried about their own fucking face. And it's so true. We just, yeah. we're so wrapped up in ourselves that we've assumed that everybody else must be thinking about us the amount that we're thinking about mm. us. And nobody is because they're all thinking about themselves yeah. too. And so, yeah, spirituality for me has been a real um, mental health helper yeah I was gonna say how do you link those two in so around 2015 when I first sort of found personal development and I was learning a lot about positive psychology and changing the way that I thought and it it really did it pulled me up out of that sort of negative space I was in a real negative spiral and I'd been in it on a sort of steady decline for about three and a bit years since arriving in Australia and I was hitting what I can now recognize as periods of depression and I was experiencing the feeling of anxiety that I didn't even know was anxiety because it had just felt like an inbuilt part of who I was. Yeah. And I, yeah, so I started learning about 
positive psychology and manifestation and having positive thoughts. And I was doing a lot of the work to make my life better. I was taking a lot of action and, you know, that was really great. I mean, I started my own business. I managed to earn enough money to leave my crappy waitressing job and I did begin to feel better and it, it did begin to pay off and I could see it manifesting in my physical reality. But then in 2017, a shitstorm happened. We would call it a spiritual awakening, but at the time it just felt like the universe was literally pulling me apart, apart systematically piece by piece, yeah. laying me out for me to look at, and it was really fucking painful. So my mum passed away, and then a few months after that, my partner at the time left, and a couple of days after that, started a relationship with one of my best friends. And so there was a lot of betrayal my business plummeted. I suddenly found myself without any money again. I had an mm. injury. My, and it sounds ridiculous, but my ankle was injured. Yeah. So I kind of lost faith in my own body as well. And it meant that I couldn't run, which is my go-to for mental, mental health. health. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so all of these things happened in the space of about six months. And it really felt like my life was falling apart. And so my reaction to that, because it felt so painful and because I was so angry, I was really angry. Like I'd done all this positive psychology. Mm. I was having all these positive thoughts and shit stuff was still happening. And so my reaction to that was to hit the bottle, right? Now yeah. I've always been a heavy drinker, but, and we w- will save my sobriety story for another, a full episode of its Because that's coming up, isn't it? It's coming up. Three years, baby. That's amazing. Three years. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so, you know, I started drinking a minimum of two bottles of wine a day by myself. Wow. I just need to adjust my headphones. Um, and then a friend of mine, I, I tried to stop drinking. I knew I was drinking too much, so I tried to stop. And I didn't recognize myself as an alcoholic because, you know, my assumption of an alcoholic was someone with such poor mental health that they had mental illness and they were living yeah. on the street and, you know, pissing their pants in public and that kind of stuff. And a friend of mine said, look, if you're struggling, go to AA because you know, Mm. you are an intelligent woman and you know enough to know that if you don't know how to do something, you find somebody who does know how to do that thing and you ask them for their help. And so I walked into an AA room with a little bit of an attitude on my shoulder and... In a very lovely part of Melbourne. (laughs) It was in a very lovely part, yeah. I love the the AA studio that you chose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely glorious. You didn't choose the St Kilda one. No, no, I went to South Yarra, of course. (laughs) I was living in St Kilda, but I didn't go to the St Kilda meetings. Anyone that's listening in England, that's like, um, instead of going to, say, like... Slough. Slough in London, it's like going to Chelsea. Yeah. I'm going to go to AA in Chelsea, Buckingham Palace. You know, that one, darling. Yes, that's where I'm going to go. Hey, look, man, I knew myself well enough to know that that's where (laughs) I needed to be. Anyway, so I... And that's really where I got introduced or reintroduced to this idea of God and I don't yeah. talk about God in a religious sense. I was brought up in the Christian faith and I fell out with God in a Christian sense many, many years mm. ago um, and had been without the idea of any kind of God for most of my life. And I really came back around to this idea of like understanding that there is something that is bigger than me and I am not the center of this universe and the world does not revolve around me. It is bigger than me. And in a kind of really therapeutic way, that kind of makes me inconsequential. That doesn't mean that I'm not important to the people around me and that I can't make a massive impact in this world, but the world does not revolve around me. Bad things are not happening to me. Mm. This is called life, and you have got to learn 
to suffer well because suffer suffering is a part of the human experience. And what's you, my line? You, I love your line, which is to suffer, suffer in honor. In and the amount of times that you've said those words to me, and it just it always rings true. And you'll just look at me, you'll be like, "M, suffer in honor." Suffer in honor, yeah. And you do, and and I think that's part of my mental health practice because recently I have gone through a huge emotional purge mm. around turning forty, and it's been. Unfortunately, I turned into the cliche that I've been trying to avoid, but I had like <laughs> a proper fucking month of yeah. slumping on the floor and, and feeling really sad and nostalgic. And I had a lot of grief come up and it was it was not a pleasant time. And thank you very much for holding compassionate space for me to be able to go through that emotional shitstorm. But you did it so gracefully. Yeah, that's really funny because it doesn't didn't feel graceful to me. But imagine you going through that ten years ago, oh how God. you would have been yeah. exactly. I'd have been arrested. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On that note, I could sit here and talk to you all day. Oh, about I want to tie that up. Actually, do okay. you mind? No, Sorry, no, go for it. I know. I know. We're going to try and keep this episode <laughs> into an hour. I'm, I'm being the OCD me, looking at the time like tick 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 tick. tick, 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 tick. Emily's like. I'm going to go on my tangent. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Let me tangent, man. Okay, go. All right, so <laughs> I think, you know, part of my understanding of mental health is to know that it's okay, that I'm not I'm not always going to feel okay. It's okay to be not okay. It's absolutely, and yeah. I think that's why you think that I did my latest month of really not feeling okay gracefully, and it's because I surrendered into it. Mm. I didn't resist it. I knew it was, it, that doesn't mean it felt good. It didn't. It felt so gross, yeah. and it was hard to get out of bed sometimes and I spent a lot of time in tears and I spent a lot of time questioning myself but I knew it was going to pass like nothing is permanent everything is is in its transience and that understanding of God i.e there is something bigger than me and I understand God to be both the creator and the destroyer Mm. right so like four seasons in one day you've got to have summer you've got to have autumn you've got to have winter you've got to have spring you've got to have them all and so part of my mental health journey is understanding that there are going to be parts of my life that feel like winter yeah, and that they will move on and another season will come and it might be a really amazing harvest or it might be a mediocre harvest and then the autumn might be the most beautiful thing ever and then winter mm. is going to come again. And, and I have an understanding of God. And I, again, I'm not talking about this religious no, no, thing. No, I'm no. just talking about yeah. the universal forces, which is always in a state of creation and destruction. And I am part of that universal force. I am not the universe. I am part of it. It doesn't revolve around me. But as a part of the universe, I am always going to be in part creation and part destruction. And when I'm in creation, it's going to feel fucking excellent. And when it's in destruction mode, it's not going to feel so good, but it is going to pass. And so part of my mental health journey is keeping structure in the morning yeah. through my meditation practice, which keeps me connected to my idea and understanding of God, my position in the universe. It keeps me humble. It keeps me in contact, genuine understanding with myself and sit and helps me sit in the seat mm. of self-reflection so that I can shine when it is summer and I know I'll survive the winter bits. Yeah. And just that you said that so beautifully but jumping in on when I teach a lot of yin, I'm a massive believer in teaching yin for seasons. So, mm. you know, you've only got to look at nature outside and at the mi- I was going to say winter, at the minute, we You're are, right there, mate. Yeah, <laughs> we are just about to go into winter, but it's beautiful outside. But a tree doesn't stand there in autumn and go, I'm not letting go of any of these leaves. Mm. They're just going to die on me. 
it just gracefully lets them fall onto the floor, create these beautiful colours, and then it closes down in winter. Mm. And I think if I said anything to anyone today that you can really take from this is that really check in with what season it is because in summer you're always going to shine. Your leaves are always going to be healthy and you know you're going to flourish more Mm. but in winter it's not a time to go oh shit everything's falling apart it's time to go I just need to really look after myself have more sleep just be in solitary a little bit more Mm. so then I can come into these other lovely seasons yeah and we're obviously not talking about like weather climate seasons we're talking about like your own personal season at any given moment like where are you at when we are nature yeah absolutely and it's and you have to learn to let go and that again has been a real spiritual concept for me and I think that is where you know you talked about how the psychotherapist said oh you know you need to sort of shake things up and not be so structured but actually that is the shake up that is where life is unstructured that is where life is chaos that is where life is creation and destruction and so that structure in the morning that waking up at 5 to 5.30 every single morning to meditate, to pray, to chant, to breathe, to journal, to sit in self-reflection, it's that structure that allows for the chaos of life yeah. to, to be much more manageable. And I know we both say, like, we sit in prayer in the morning, and I don't mean I sit there to, to God, but I sit there and I, I literally say out loud and I thank, like, the universe, you know, mm. God, goddesses, and I ask, everything. I ask for what it is that I want. Yeah, and mm. I and I say, like, feed those that are hungry, keep those warm that are cold, all those things. And I, for me, if you'd have said 10 years ago I'd be sat on my living room floor every morning thanking for what is about to come in that day and for every lesson that I've had in my life and for a roof over my head, I would have laughed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, totally. Me oh, too. Pray. I'd have been shut up. Let's open a bottle of verve. <laughs> Actually, it would have been more like Blue Nun. Blue Nun. Nah, I would have. Twenty twenty Mad Dog. Oh no! Ten years ago, I was thirty. Yeah, I was probably just on a, a constant stream of Sav Blanc mm. and the odd spliff. Oh, Emily Chadbourne. Mm. Well, I was on a bit more than that, but anyway. Um, right. On that note, let's speak let's to hear our from your old neighbour, Hannah. Today we have got a very, very special interview with a wonderful woman called Hannah. Now, Hannah has got um, various mental illness diagnoses that she lives with. It was really interesting talking to Hannah because you can hear how she lives with her mental illness through the way that she speaks. So, um, yeah, it it was a really interesting conversation to have and she's so open and she's so candid and I learned so much about mental illness. So thank you for introducing me to Hannah. You're welcome. And I hope everybody enjoys this interview. So joining me today is a very wonderful woman called Hannah, who I have had the pleasure of speaking to once before. Hannah actually used to be Rochelle's neighbour, and she has very kindly come here today to talk to us about mental health. Hannah was diagnosed with bipolar, ADHD, and 
autism, is that right, Hannah? Yes. Autism as well, so the trifactor. And she has very kindly come on here today to talk about her story. So, Hannah, thank you so much. I'm You're welcome. so <laughs> grateful for your time. Tell me a little bit about what happened when you were diagnosed, because you weren't diagnosed until 2018, were you? Mm-hmm. By which time you would have been in your late 30s, because you're a zenial, just turned 40. Yep. So you would have yep. been in your late 30s by the time you got diagnosed, and firstly with bipolar. So tell us a little bit about yep. that. Okay, so, well, it sort of started at the, um, well, the end of 2017. I, I was I was loving life. Um, I'd just given up breastfeeding my youngest son, and so it was like, woohoo, I can wear clothes without buttons again. And um, I don't have to have bras with easy access. So anyway, um, and so things were going well. But the start of 2018, I felt well I mean the good side of the start of 2018 is I felt really confident and for me when I start to feel super confident I get worried because I'm not a confident person which I should feel good about being confident but I find out now that part of bipolar um, when you go through a hypermanic episode um, I don't have mania I've got type 2 which is the lesser crazy version well I don't know if that's the right word to use I make it up because I have no idea I'm still learning and so I felt confident and I decided oh this is how you're meant to feel in life this is what being an adult means oh I'm a parent with two kids I'm going to start learning to teach I wanted to teach dance fitness I joined a gym after not being able to move properly after having two kids and and then I met somebody who introduced me to a particular class and I was like "Woo! I'm gonna study this so at the start of the year, I signed up for the training, which was going to be over, I think, 10 weeks. Actually, I can sort of track that period of elevation to the crash um, around that time because also not only was I studying to do this dance fitness um, instructor course, I also decided to sign up as a multi-level marketing person selling expensive plasticware, and I managed to spend more than I made. But things started to go downhill probably towards end of March or maybe around March. I was going out late, which I don't do. I like to sleep. I was going out middle of the week drinking till, what, three in the morning at uh, where my friend worked. And I don't drink that much. And my husband will send me a message and saying, oh, you know, you've got to take the kids to, to kinder, you know, you've got to be a parent. And, and it's like, yeah, I'll be home. And I sort of had a bit of reckless behaviour. So that wasn't normal behaviour for you, this kind mm-hmm. of elevated confidence, spending mm-hmm. lots of money that you didn't have, signing up for courses that were <laughs> potentially not your norm and then going yep. out and sort of recklessly drinking until all yep. hours instead of being at home with your kids and you yep. began to notice that that wasn't right or your husband or well my husband was the person my husband spoke to she said to him has Hannah been diagnosed as bipolar and it, I've always thought I'm a depressed person so I'm a, I have high anxiety and depression and I've had that ever since I was young um as a a small child like anxiety would keep me awake and anyway so I thought well I might as well go get it checked out because I have issues something's not right and I'm feeling a bit like I'm unraveling the confidence the uh, energy and like sometimes you, you you know you're on a in a good groove I was not on a groove in a groove I was sort of on a slippery track Yes, a bit confident, but maybe a bit agitated. I started to get a bit more Well, there's a snappy. difference between 
confidence and bravado yeah isn't there and I suppose sort of confidence is that feeling of certainty and knowing of self Mm. whereas bravado is like you you say kind of hypermanic and yeah kind of on that high and the high will always attract a low yeah and 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 it doesn't last it'd be great if um you know you had confidence that all of a sudden one day just started and you go like oh I don't know what happened, but I'm keeping this confidence and I'm loving it. But yeah, so uh, I did, I, I did get to this psychiatrist um, who I'm no longer seeing because it didn't really work out. But you sometimes it's a bit of a trial and error. Um, this psychiatrist, yes, he did diagnose me as bipolar, but he saw me more as a number than a, a than a person, and also, well, he he didn't see me as someone who was a female who had female health things to deal with like hormones and so I was heavily sedated I was on antipsychotic medication uh, mood stabilizers antidepressants sedatives I think maybe something similar to Valium but I can't remember what it was but I was taking so many tablets I had like a timetable through the day take this take that take this don't take this with this don't drink which I, I realized later on and uh, yeah, so this medication was horrible. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't, I was bedridden. And when you've got kids, you can't, it is hard to be dysfunctional and feeling like you need to function at the same time. And my poor kids, like my eldest had started kinder. And so he was going through his emotional sort of issues with that. My youngest, he, uh, he, he was sort of seeing me go through all this and, um, and, and it's like, what, why can't mum play? Why isn't mum doing this? Um, uh, and so when things started to go really pear-shaped with the medication regime and I was just literally suffering and we required like friends and family and in like everyone to watch the kids, my husband's trying to juggle the household and his job, yeah, I, I had to step away. I was like, I can't go to hospital because, you know, you either have to be suicidal or have a lot of money to go to hospital. And we didn't have health insurance at the time for that. Um, but and <laughs> I think it was my husband again, who someone has said to him that I should go to the women's mental health clinic, uh, run out of one of the hospitals. There's a professor there who's a psychiatrist who has a team of people assessing women and their mental health and they do hormone checks and blood tests of DNA. T- they organise blood DNA tests for you to see what medications suit you. Are the antidepressants working for you? Are they not? Um, and so I went to this clinic and had their full assessment with the psychiatrist and the endo- endocrinologist that they have there. And I found out that I have something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is like seven to ten days. Well, it's basically hormonal issues you know when you have your period before and after or even during the month and like seven to ten days and that was like a minimum I'd go through that time of like hell emotionally so is that uh, like um it's like PMS or PMT but like on steroids on steroids yeah it's like, it's like yeah, super okay. uber horrible like just emotional outbursts irrational thinking I was also unable to speak in clear sentences. I sounded like I was on drugs, like not slur- not slurring my words, but not being able to structure a sentence with um, just logical thinking. And that was really disconcerting. So I got diagnosed with that. And so they put me on this pill, which they, they give to people who suffer from premenstrual dysphoric disorder often. Like they... 
that it's I don't know if it's the same as the normal contraceptive pill, but it's the only pill that I've had that actually has helped me with my hormonal like my depression and anxiety symptoms and things like that. And that for one has changed my life. Mm. Um I went through um, six to eight months of withdrawals from a horrible medication given to me or prescribed to me. And then I found a better psychiatrist who assessed me again for bipolar, just to make sure. And, um, and then, so, so the bipolar was there. Then I got chatting to a friend one day, we're just talking about mental health and ADHD came up and inattentive ADHD. And I'm like, what's that? I always thought ADHD was, you know, kids bouncing off the walls, you know, distracted, talking a lot. Um, and inattentive is, I think a lot of people don't realise that it's there. Uh, like for me, in ADHD is like I, I, I'm off like daydreaming a lot. I struggle, well, I struggle to focus on things that are not fun. Leave things to the last minute. I've got a project due at school. Ah, oh, 24 hours before or oh, five hours before here we go let's work um and so i i was also told to watch this funny youtube video by this guy who has like i don't know how many questions it was it's like you know if this happens such and such yes or no if yes you have adhd or potentially have adhd but it was really funny and i thought oh, i'll watch it and it's like yep 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 and it made a lot of sense i thought well obviously i can't it's not a medical scientific quiz I'm going to go see my psychiatrist and go could I potentially have ADHD this is what I present and so because I'm a daydreamer I struggle to focus I even hear people talking to me I my attention isn't very good I I think it's something to do with is it auditory processing or something it's like I have to have someone wave a sign in front of me because I my mind is elsewhere so I had the assessment and yes it came up with ADHD and like, wow. Okay, cool. Um, I did see another psychiatrist for that. I forgot about that. I had to see a, a, someone who specialized in ADHD diagnosis because they can also prescribe the stimulants. Um, a lot of psychiatrists can't. And so I saw this woman and I swear the stimulants have changed my life. I actually felt more engaged with my kids. I was able to play with them. I was able to get motivated to focus on a task. And it's just, it's quite calming in a way. For someone with ADHD, a stimulant can actually settle you into your your groove. Bit of, I mean, you still have to work on some things, but it's not like, it's not as bad. And Yeah, so it's I not think, like if, if you gave me stimulants, I'd be bouncing off the walls and up all night, whereas actually... For you, it has kind of like the opposite effect. It brings you focus. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I mean, there's some things I still can't do with the stimulants. I can't get motivated to do housework. Or um... <laughs> Actually, Rochelle can. <laughs> Rochelle's the only person I know who enjoys oh, no. housework. <laughs> She's at her place. I remember her place smelled amazing too. She's got the best candles. She does. She's fragrances. always got a scented candle on the burn, that woman. Oh, yeah, she's very inspiring for that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm not Rochelle. So um, if she had, if she could put her into a tablet, you know, with her um, organisational sort of cleaning skills, I, I would have that. <laughs> put that with my collection of medications. So I've started the stimulants and <clears throat> with my psychiatrist that I see currently, we've been trying to uh, remove my dosages of 
antidepressants, like bringing them down. Because I'd rather be un, like medicated with minimum. Also, it's better to strip it back. So then you can apply something. If, if something's not right at a base level, then you add on. You don't just go, here, have everything and then take away. So yeah, my ADHD thing had been going well. Then... I got I went to an ADHD day program and I met someone who said they had autism and I'm like, oh, okay. And then finding out that autism and ADHD have some overlapping things. I'm like, and that just interests me a, a lot because I, I did a bit of Googling, like from proper sources, not just go, oh, Dr. Google or you know, <laughs> let's see what's available. What can I find out today? Yeah. Because also with some of these mental health things there are a lot of conspiracy theorists yeah. about um autism and that some things can be cured like oh you just need to get over this you know you, you don't have it it's not inbuilt it's you know not lifelong you know you just ah, you know you're making it up but um sadly I don't make this up I wouldn't want to live with half the stuff that I've had to deal with um I think that's so, one yeah. of the um I think that's one of the downfalls of our generation, isn't it? Mm. Is that in one way, isn't it wonderful that we are now talking about mental health and that mm. we have so many programs for mental health and it is yeah. such an important conversation that we're having. You know, my grandmother yep. on my mum's side definitely had mental health issues, but they were just undiagnosed because it wasn't spoken mm. about. And so in yeah. one way, it's really great that we're having this conversation, but we also have the internet and where we have the internet, yeah. we have opinion and where we have opinion, we will always have some people yep. who say some really detrimental things that are very unhelpful mm -hmm. mm. yeah and it aggravates me like I went to a support group meeting one day for one of my conditions and I was saying about my autism and or autistic whatever you call it if I have it or I am it or whatever and she's saying oh aren't we all this way or it's all in your head well you know maybe it is my head but it's um we're not all a particular way yes autism they talk about the spectrum I think everything is on a spectrum just because and I mean with bipolar just because you're sad one minute and happy the next doesn't make you bipolar mm. um it's a very unfortunate thing bipolar um ADHD uh some people say ADHD you have a superpower and same with autism I mean I I am learning to embrace those superpowers um and I think um yeah, you really have to be careful with what you say and um, especially if someone hasn't experienced that, doesn't mean it's not real. Um, and that's what I, I think I come up against a lot, especially with people who've known me my whole life as well. Um, not that my friends are going, oh, you don't have it, but... Um, but it's I also think... so much more complex than just... Mm one thing or one diagnosis isn't it like we are yeah. made up of our behaviors which we learn our social mm. conditioning which we learn the way that our parents raised us bullying that we had in the playground mm -hmm. you know social anxiety self-esteem those things are yep. all created but on top of that you also have some hormonal issues you also have mm -hmm. some biochemical mental health issues and so mm. you know it's not it's never as simple as just saying it's, it's there's never a one size fits all no that's right like nature nurture and all that and so um yeah my package I sort of my little trifecta package you know it's quite different to say someone else with say autism and ADHD and yeah so the autism diagnosis um I'm glad I went down that path actually um 
that's something that has really it should, it's funny it should have been one of the first things I looked at but I didn't know to look for it because I was a female who it's not like Rain Man in the movie you know who's yeah. <laughs> they they talk about um women are go quite undiagnosed till quite late in life and often never diagnosed because they have this there's this thing called masking I'm sitting in a group of people I'm having a conversation but what is going on behind the scenes, I'm checking myself. I'm checking what I'm saying. I've done this even before I knew I was autistic. Okay, don't say anything weird. Beauty of uh, beauty or curse, I don't know, uh, ADHD and autism, no filter. Mm-hmm. No filter and foot in mouth. I'm just saying, you know, rap- it's a rapid speech. Okay, Hannah, slow down. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything weird. Don't be inappropriate. Don't make a silly joke. I have to remember, okay, these people, one, they don't know you, so they might go, whoa, freak out, what's going on? Um, so, yeah, you've got behaviours you're trying to mimic, you, like mm-hmm. socially. I mean, I'm learning to not hide as much. I think we all do it to a point where, like, okay, I'm out in a group of people who don't really know me. I'm not going to act so familiar, yeah. you know. Um, I do. I know what you mean, though, and I have heard of this before, that – Women, as a general rule, and of course, right now I'm talking in sweeping generalizations, but as a general rule, women can pretend to fit into a group much more easily. And we Mm. are, in a way, much better at working out what the group needs of us in ways that sweeping generalization men tend not to be. So, Yeah. yeah, I've definitely heard heard that the whole we do do it is it, it, sometimes people will go oh I didn't know this and it's like yeah well I'm pretty good at um, acting sometimes you know mm, yeah <laughs> um so and that's why you think for so long you were undiagnosed when it came to autism mm, yeah and especially that my parent my, my mum and dad aren't strangers to mental health um and different things my mum was an integration aide at a, a high school and she had students who she looked after who had autism, who had other types of abilities, disabilities, whatever you might want to call them. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, that's not, that doesn't exist. Uh, depression in my parents' minds, it, it existed. It was real. Anxious, anxiety is real. Like people in my family experienced that. My grandmother had mental health issues, had a nervous breakdown. And so, yeah, it was, it was good because I had support from my mum and dad. So if I did have depression not that we knew what it was you know relating to sometimes was oh I'm teased I feel really bad about myself um but um mum and dad were always there to take me to the doctor to the psychiatrist to get antidepressants if I needed it but at one point I was sick for three months uh when I was 12 um I had I, I believe now it was depression and anxiety but they thought I had glandular fever I was on antibiotics for ages and I was bed bedridden or um, you know stuck at home for three months bored watching daytime tv Oprah was my friend at the time <laughs> and I just oh it was I mean I had I missed out a lot and kids used to say oh you're faking it you know and it's like well no I'm not um, I tried to come to school but I was so tired they thought I had chronic fatigue syndrome or whatever that is. Like, I mean, I was fatigued and yes, chronic fatigue 
syndrome, I think, is also caused by depression and anxiety. Mm. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, I don't know, but it was really tough time. Yeah, so yeah. you hadn't, even though you weren't officially diagnosed mm. until 2018, you had grown up mm. with mental health yeah. issues. You were yeah. acutely aware that you were going through sort of seasons <laughs> where it was much harder than other times, but it wasn't yeah. really until 2018 that you began to be diagnosed. Once you were yeah. diagnosed, did it feel better to know what mm. it was yeah well i i'm all for finding out a reason for something why is this the way it is and what can i do now to better myself to better my life and through this autism diagnosis i've had a cognitive assessment and i found out that i have impaired working memory and that would explain why i can't remember a lot uh, not saying I can't learn things, but I have to learn how to learn. I also l have to learn how to um, improve my executive functioning things, like so time management, um, for example, emotional regulation, um, anxiety stuff. And I'm finding the tools. I'm realizing, okay, there's not a pill for this. What can I do? Okay, find a coach. I've actually very blessed I'm blessed to have the level of disability that I'm qualifying for some government funding so I can get help. A lot of people can't, which is very sad, but I'm really grateful that I'll be able to get help when I'm having a breakdown with the kids, with the house, with, um, you know, somebody to give me emotional support. If, say if I struggle to go outside, which habits happened, I get social anxiety. Sometimes even going out to people I, to see people I know, I freak out. Um, but it's not all the time. It's weird. It's like fluctuates and mm. learning about that. And now I know why I do that. It's not like, it's like, oh, what's this? This is, oh, I'm just going to bump into things until I work out something or it improves. And it's like, no, well, this is, this is the label. I'm happy for that because then we can, I can go to someone and say, Hey, this is, this is what I know about myself what can what can I do yeah so and I can about, help people it's about learning coping mechanisms mm. and getting the medication right for you those two yeah, things yeah absolutely it's a bit like nature and, and nurture isn't it both of those things have to collide yeah. yeah it's holistic that's why I like I try and get some exercise in when I can even though I hate exercise and I'm an exercise instructor but I know <laughs> for my mental health I need to do it and that's yeah. why I do it yeah. and that's why I do a lot of things is for my mental health you know is yeah. it going to make me happy Yep, okay, we'll do it. If yeah. not, see you later. Yeah. And, Isn't it uh, funny? I always think how funny it is that so many of the things that we don't like doing are the things that actually make us happy. Like, yeah. I, I don't always love meditating, but I know that yeah. my overall mental health is so much better when I do it. I don't always yeah. like working out. In fact, most of the time mm -hmm. I don't like working out. But I know mm -hmm. that my mental health, I, I will feel yeah. happier as a result of doing it. I always think that's yeah. one of life's kind of stupid ironies that like oh. we have to do these things that we don't necessarily want to do in order to feel good about ourselves yeah it's so true yeah absolutely <laughs> Hannah your story is so inspiring what I would just love to ask you before we go into some quick fire questions to uh, to close this interview I would just really really love to know like what would you say to somebody who is maybe feeling like they have got some mental health issues and they're not quite sure where to turn to or where to source help from? Well, first of all, I, from my own experience, talking to people who, who have shared their experience with me has helped show me a path, like who to ask. But there are a lot of great websites, 
like the government-run mental health website for sort of helplines. I usually go with the government-based um, site, say if there's something on bipolar, to avoid the quackery sort of mm. groups. Like I would talk to your GP, see who they recommend, but also don't stop with one person going, they were crap. I didn't like what they said. They're not good. I, I'm not, I can't deal with this. It pays to do a bit of trial and error. Um, don't give up. If you don't feel right, don't give up. Don't give up on looking for some help. Ask, put it out there. Go to your, um, say if it's a women's mental health thing or a men's group or or whatever it is. Like I'm glad I persisted with um, psychiatrists to find ones that, saw me as a person I'm glad I felt like if I was suspicious about something follow through like I investigated so I didn't stop with bipolar that wasn't there was more I felt there was more and if you feel there's more don't feel stupid about going further I'm not a hypochondriac I'm just I just want to live my best life and I'm not afraid to admit that when something's not right um so it's about being really curious about your own mental health I suppose mm, isn't it and and how best you can find the tools and the support so that Mm. you can like you say live your best life Hannah you're an absolute inspiration thank you so much (laughs) we are just going to close with three questions which we ask everybody Mm -hmm. who is interviewed on the unashamedly 40 podcast so the first Mm -hmm. one is what was your favorite trend from the 1980s I love the 80s toys. Maybe it's because I was a kid of the 80s and they just brought me a lot of pleasure because they had rainbows and colours and um, I'm a very visual person. So um, rainbow bright, Care Bears, strawberry shortcake and I have to stop myself buying them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And um, what was the biggest difference for you between turning 30 undiagnosed and turning 40 diagnosed? Um, I felt at 30, I was still a bit lost. Um, I, I didn't feel like I had enough experience and also still sort of bobbing my way through life. Um, but as a 40 year old turning 40, apart from a lack of party, mm-hmm. a lockdown, um, I think having more life experience, I did, you know, I had experience early adult 30s, like, okay, what's the difference? And it's like, actually, no, 40, yes, I'm more established. I guess I feel a bit closer to, not that I'm closer to the end, but um, it's a bit scary um, knowing that, but I feel more grounded and empowered. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. And finally, what has been your greatest life lesson to date? Um, I would say be authentic, be true to yourself, honour your honour your truth because when you do that, things take off. As I've experienced in the last few months, I've really, really focused on not being embarrassed about who I am and also learning about my autism, ADHD, bipolar. It actually allows me to embrace my mental health and accept that this is what I do, this is my way and um, – yeah, just feeling being me, and some people like the real me. Oh, that's <laughs> and... awesome. I like the real you, Hannah. I think you're <laughs> Thank excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much, <laughs> and what a beautiful message to go out on. And and again, I think you touched on this earlier. This idea that like it can be your superpower if you're willing to embrace it and make it that. And I think you totally you emanate that, and that's it's such a wonderful, powerful <laughs> thing to to be in front of so thank you so much for your time today. my pleasure really appreciate it Anna thank you wow what an interview hey 
Do you know, I just love how, and I've always loved this about Hannah, um, I love how open she is. Open and just telling her story, it just makes it so much easier for other people to come forward, to accept, to understand yeah. as well. Part of and mental health is talking about it, isn't yeah. it? It's and about openly being like, I'm struggling today, it's harder for me today. Yeah, and she's so open with it, which makes it just... I mean, she's an incredible woman. She's got a husband. She's got two young, very young children. Um, and she is taking ownership of all this in a really lovely way and saying, this is who I am. And, you know, if you... And I and need I, to do it a bit differently and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. There's a really beautiful book by Sarah Wilson called First We Make the Beast Beautiful. And it's all about how she lives with her anxiety. Yeah. And you know, the title of the book kind of indicates that, you know, you cannot live with anxiety while you're trying to not live with anxiety. You can only <laughs> live with anxiety by living with it. Yeah. And that means you need to understand it as your superpower. How can it benefit you? What are the great, amazing, unique bits of you yeah. that your anxiety actually gives you? You know, she was a highly, highly successful woman um, and she accredits most of that to her mm. anxiety. She also knows that at times... She needs to have certain things in place to manage the more manic parts or the more depressive parts of that anxiety. But, you know, she's like, I wouldn't be who I am without that anxiety. It's okay. Like, it is part of who I am. And instead of demonizing it and trying to work out how not to have it, I've just gone, well, I have got it. So how am I going to make it work for me? And I think that is a conversation that we should be having more and more. Like, there is nothing wrong with, you know, having any type of mental illness. Nothing mm. at all. Like it makes you unique. So how do we create systematically and environmentally a society that supports that instead of demonizes it yeah. or tries to fix it? Because there's nothing to fucking fix. No. Um, Talking so of, though, can I just <laughs> ask you a question? Sorry, I just cut you off there, hardcore. It's okay. How much do you think you would be on the market if we could actually put you in pill form <laughs> so that people could clean their houses well? I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, look, it was, it was funny, very funny, and I did chuckle. Um, but I suppose, jokes aside, um, yeah, most people would be like, wow, she just like flies around the house and she gets everything done. And But there's... That is a superpower, and my superpower is that I'm very good at my proper job. Proper job, can I say? You know, at work, like, no one wants a messy scrub nurse, do they? My instruments are all lined up and in order, clean. and everything's clean, and I work in, I work in an operating theatre, so that's where I use my superpower, my OCD. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry, but I should just double-check that the audience knows what we're talking about. So we're talking now in reference to... The fact that Rochelle is very, very clean and very, very organised and does a lot of housework. And Hannah had said in that interview, just in case you missed it or you were on the phone or just hadn't quite registered it, um, how great would it be if we could put Rochelle in pill form? <laughs> and as funny as that is, like I actually do know, because I know you so well, that there are times where that OCD tendency in you doesn't actually make you feel great. It's awful. Um even yesterday, I had to lay on the sofa most of the day because I've got an injury at the minute. And I kept saying to myself, just another hour and I'll get up and I, tomorrow morning I want to have everything done in the house. And if you walked into my house, you wouldn't think there's anything to be done. 
But to me, you know, I've got to do all my ironing and every cupboard's got to be, like, bleached and in alphabetical order. And yet, to some people, it must be lovely to walk into a showroom. But it's actually, it's something that I have to deal with on a daily basis. And it is really hard because if my life isn't completely in an order, I can have a breakdown with it. Mm. Um, you know, I can't, I can't leave cushions unfluffed on a sofa. Mm. I, I I physically can't do it um, and yeah there's been times in my life and a lot of my English friends would say if they come out here I'm a lot more chilled than I was in England and there was a point in England I couldn't even have people in my house after a certain point and my house would have to be completely bleached top to bottom when people left because mm. I couldn't deal with it um, it's not a nice life to live mm. but I have to, I have coping mechanisms and I have to deal with it. Um, in relationship terms, God, yeah, it's hard trying to live, live with me. Mm. I mean, you trying to live with someone that's constantly bleaching down cupboards or won't let you have, I mean, my house compared to your house, not as in messy terms, but in... In every sense, <laughs> to be fair. Our houses are very different. Mine's got a lot of stuff in it. Stuff? Yeah. I can't have stuff. No, you haven't got any stuff in it, your house. Stuff makes me claustrophobic. Yeah. And if I start having things, I have to get rid of other things because I can't deal with stuff. Yeah. Um, And it just, yeah, it kind of takes over my life. I can't deal with it. Mm. But your superpower my is superpower. that you are clean and you are organised. And, you know, if I was going to go in and have dental surgery... I'd want it to be you that's <laughs> scrubbing in. But, I mean, let's look back to your birthday. Who did you want organising all the um, stuff behind the scenes when you did yeah, your spiritual awakening? Yeah. Shake-up party. Yeah, totally. Like, everyone has a different strength, don't they? Yeah. I My strength is not structure and it's not order and it's not necessary being clean i'm not dirty no but, you know not, uh, no. you know um but we'll never go to an airport together again no, i don't know <laughs> if i'll ever be able to go i think we have to get on different planes well not even planes just so emily like leaves at two minutes to and i'd be there two hours before yeah so we're getting I, the same I think car. i saw your head spin around like a three full 60 when i picked you up and you were like where have you been i was like dude we've still got like an hour and a half to get there and then we got there just as they were calling our two name. Two minutes. Two minutes. Two that minutes. checkout had been closed. <laughs> <laughs> Even now, we my got heart's on a plane. My heart's pounding. But we now. got on a plane, man. Oh I've never missed goodness. a plane in my whole <sighs> life. I've never missed a plane. But you know what? Like the world needs a, a bit of everybody. Oh yeah. You know that's what makes the world go round. Yeah. Thank God for you and your OCD. You know, in lots of respects, it's amazing. But it's, yeah, I mean, look, everyone probably should take a Rochelle pill on a Sunday afternoon for a few hours to get the housework done. But having that constantly in your life is like things that Hannah goes through. It, it's really hard. Mm. And then you'll get people that come into your house and if there is something slightly out of place, they'll tease you for it, mm. which any normal person would think it's funny. That makes me feel like a failure. Oh my oh god! Really? Like that cushion was out of place. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, that is really tough. Yeah. Do you think you are getting better at managing it, managing it the older that you get? 
two things I'm getting better but I'm also getting a lot better with who I surround myself with Mm. and those people accept me and can tease me in a very loving way about it Mm. like when Ellie comes to stay she just she never makes me feel uncomfortable about how much I have to clean yeah Ellie's our mate by the way yeah um, who the fuck is Ellie (laughs) Ellie's our mate yeah um and she really accepts me for it but in this really lovely little sister way yes and it and so do I deal with it more as I get older yes but I choose who I hang around with and who I let into that part of my life Mm. yeah well I mean I think we could keep talking forever about well I can't because I've got to go and do the ironing (laughs) because it's at home in my ironing cupboard which isn't in order at the minute, which is stressing me out. You have told me about four times today that you need to get home and do the (laughs) ironing. So I will let you go home and do the ironing. Thank you so much for sharing this conversation with me, Rochelle. As always, thank you very much for listening. We have got another two episodes left of the Unashamedly 40 podcast. And huge thanks to Hannah for joining us for this episode. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. Yeah. Because it's it's a really big thing is mental health. Mm. And sorry, I've kind of jumped in. But just I do think that's one thing that COVID did have a big impact on making people more aware. That Agreed. It's, it's in everyone's life and let's just help each other. It's a real thing. Yeah. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't mm. be ashamed to talk about it. And hold space for other people while they're going through it. You don't need to fix them. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. They just need to know that they are loved. I love you. I love you too. Okay. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unashamedly 40, a special short series briefly interrupting my Unashamedly Human podcast. If you've loved this episode, please share it with your mates, rate and review, and head to the show notes to get in touch. Thanks for listening.